This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Anyway, I'm going to jump in and, and continue. <clears throat> Excuse me, we're going to continue right quick. We're going to talk on Jesus loves people. Everybody say, Jesus loves people. And we're doing this in the same vein as uh, in, the, in the vein of the Each One Reach One uh, series. And, and we started last week talking about Jesus' example and Jesus' mission. And we're doing this because, you know, we, we get this idea that, that uh, being an evangelist is, you know, standing on the street, street corner, you know, shouting, you know, at people and, and whatever else it may be, or having to go door to door like the Mormons or, or whatever. That, that's what it means to share our faith. And, and I don't believe that's what it was supposed to be at all. And so trying to dispel this whole idea that I can't reach somebody for Christ. And so last week, like I said, we talked about Jesus' example about his mission. And why do we talk about that? We talked about it because as followers of Jesus, his mission is our mission, right? His mission is our mission. Did Jesus love people? It was his whole life. It's what he lived for. It was the mission of his life. Everything he did was about people. We never see him taking. He's always giving, right? And so we went on from that talking about we were made to be like Jesus. We talked about in, in Genesis when God said, let us make man in our own image. And we went to 2 Corinthians 3.18 where it said our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become more like him. So we were made to be like Jesus. His mission is our mission. So that begs the question, what is his mission, right? And so... We went into Luke 4, and uh, if you remember, we were talking about that, about how Jesus had just, he, he, we don't see any indication that he had done any healings or any miracles yet. He had just been baptized by John, been tempted by the devil, and it says he came back to his hometown and began teaching in the synagogue. And the people liked what they were hearing, the depth of his teaching. They, they were receiving from what he was saying. And then the day comes here that we see where He's asked to stand and read, and he's handed a scroll. And that scroll was Isaiah chapter 61, right? Which was about the coming Messiah. So they handed the Messiah a scroll about the coming Messiah. They just didn't know it yet, right? But they were about to. And so we, we went to Luke chapter 4, and verses 18 and 19. Jesus' mission. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is what Jesus lived for. This was his mission statement. This summed up everything that he came to do, right? And if you notice, everything in that list is about others, right? There's nothing about him and what he came to receive. It was about what he came to give, right? So what did Jesus come to do? We broke down that passage. One was to bring the good news to the poor. So that begged the question, what was the good news? What was the good news? The gospel, Jesus was the good news. His life was, his message was a message of hope and of promise. He came as a sacrificial lamb that would fulfill the law of God and would appease the wrath of God, and he would change everything. He was the message. The message was that through him, the debt for sin, debt of sin had been paid, right? But you didn't have to live under the curse. So, so that's, the good news, so who are the poor? We talked about the poor. The poor were those living outside of the grace of God, right? Those who owed a, sin of, a debt of sin that could never be repaid. The poor were the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, 
the oppressed. So what else did Jesus do? Second thing we saw from Luke chapter 4, came to bring healing, deliverance, and freedom. We see that Jesus spent his days freeing people from the curse of the enemy. Because we know in 1 John 3, 8, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, right? Well, then what did the devil do? In John 10, 10, he came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came to reverse it all, right? So how did he do this? It says in Acts 10, 38, he went through the country helping people and healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil. So before going to the cross, we know that Jesus spent his time walking among the people, healing the sick, casting demons out of those that were bound, befriending the outcasts, giving hope to the hopeless, fulfilling the will of the Father. And through all these things, people's eyes were opened and they began to see who he was and they put their trust in him as their savior, right? And the last thing he came to do was to proclaim that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Now we know that because of the sin of mankind, obviously starting originally in the garden, the mankind's under a curse and separated from God at this time, right? So Jesus comes, we know that the day he was born, that the angels even sang, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, right? Talking about reconciliation between man and God. And we talked about how Jesus knew that even his hometown folks would have to put their faith in the fact that he was the Messiah in order to be saved from the curse. So he had to come forth and he had to proclaim that the time had come and that he was the Messiah. The answer was here. As unpopular a message as that was at times, he had to speak the truth because the truth was the only thing that would save him, right? We know that when Jesus died, the veil in front of the Ark of the Covenant was ripped in two. All the prophecies of old were fulfilled and God once again was at peace with man. And the time of the Lord's favor had come through Jesus. So as Christians, Jesus lives in us. We're his hands and feet, and our mission is the same, of his, same as his, to bring the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is why we're here today. And we talked about that last week, about how if, if God didn't have a mission for us here on earth, he would have taken us the moment we received Jesus. He'd have said, come on. Instead, he said, no, I need you to stay there in that fallen world a little bit longer because i got some things I need you to do for me. Then you can come, right? And if you notice, all these things, they, like I say, they're all about others. So we talked about Jesus' example, Jesus' mission, which is our mission. And so I want to talk to you for a few minutes today, take it a step further, and I want to talk about Jesus' commands. What did Jesus expect of us? What did this look like? What did he tell his followers in the time that he was here and when he left? And so I'm going to jump right on into this. You can follow along on your notes. We'll also have it in the Bible app on your phone. But um, you can fill in the blanks here, and I'm going to jump right on into number one. Jesus' command. The first thing Jesus' command is, follow me. It's the first thing we see Jesus say that was a command. And who did he give it to? He gave it to a couple of fishermen, right? He's walking along the shore, and we see there, I'm, I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 4. There's several different accounts. But in Matthew 4, verses 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. How many of you know that Jesus is saying the same thing to us? He's looking at us, and he's saying, follow me. Which takes us, I want to jump over to Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. And y'all have heard this, but from the New Living, it says, and, and this is the crowd. The crowds have followed him. By this time, Jesus, I mean, remember, we were just reading from Luke chapter 4. He didn't really have much of a following yet. Now he's got crowds a few chapters later, right? 
And the crowds are looking, and they're, they're going, well, this guy's pretty cool. I want to follow him too. I like listening to him. And so they're all wanting to be his followers. And so he said to the crowd, if anyone wants to be my follower, I mean, you know, he can see their follow, they can see the followers of Jesus, right? Imagine what, what celebrities, the disciples must have thought they were sometimes. How many people were looking and going, man, I wish I was like Peter. I wish I was like John. Man, that's cool. Being with Jesus all day long, every day, following him around. I wish I could do that, right? Well, Jesus kind of says, if anybody wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. Take up your cross and follow me. Well, that had to be kind of a hard statement. We see a couple things here. Firstly, we see prerequisites for following Jesus. (laughs) He said, you want to follow me? That's cool. Here's what I want you to do. Number one, he said, turn from your selfish ways. Secondly, take up your cross. And then thirdly, then come willingly follow me. So, Breaking that down for a second, why do you have to turn from your selfishness? Well, we just heard it during the, the, the tithes and offerings here a minute ago. We know the Bible says you can't serve two masters, right? Well, serving is a full-time job, and it's hard to hold down two full-time jobs. Could you imagine, I was thinking the other day, what if somebody who was a trauma doctor full-time over at the med goes over and decides he wants to be a commercial airline pilot, and he goes over and applies, and they say, oh, cool, so you're a doctor. What made you want to leave that job? Well, I don't want to. I just want to be a pilot, too. Wait a minute. You, you, you can't be both. Yeah, yeah, I want to be a full-time doctor, and I want to be a full-time pilot. Well, <laughs> you, you can't do that. Well, other people have two jobs. You can't do both because both require everything, right? Both require a flexible schedule and being able to be on call and, and different things. I, you, you can't do both. And Jesus is saying, it's me or nothing. It, it's me or the world. If you're going to follow me, then drop what you have. It said back there, we just read a second ago, that they immediately left their nets and followed him. They dropped it all. Bam. And they left. Jesus is saying all or nothing, right? Which brings us to the question, who will you serve and who will you follow? If we choose to follow our own selfish ways, y'all know as well as I do, that's a full-time job. True? True? I know my selfishness is a full-time job. (laughs) Are we going to follow our own selfish desires, or are we going to deny ourselves and follow Jesus? So he said to um, turn from your selfish ways, and then he said, take up your cross. Now, guys, that that could not have been a popular statement. I mean, Jesus hadn't even talked about really going to the cross yet at this point. They're sitting here going, take up your cross. They had all seen people crucified because the Romans, man, they would line the roads with hundreds and hundreds of crucified people at a time. They walked by it. Their kids walked by it every day. They saw the people up there suffering and screaming and everything else. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. What? Say what? I've been reading a book. Um, or actually, I read a book a number of weeks ago. Some of you, I know quite a few of you have read as well, a book called Not a Fan, Being a Follower, a Fan or a Follower of Jesus. That's a question it poses. Are you a fan or are you a follower? And I just wanted to read you a short excerpt as it's talking about the cross here. The man says, uh, the author, what's his name? Um, I can't remember his name. But he's talking about the cross, and he says, why a cross? Why not a dove? At least a dove represents peace. What about a shepherd's staff? That, that, that's a symbol of protection. 
Why did he choose two bloody beams nailed together? The cross was a symbol of humiliation. The cross was a symbol of suffering. Ultimately, the cross was a symbol of death. An instrument of torture and death is the image that represented the followers of Jesus. If you want to attract customers, an image of perhaps the most brutal means of execution ever devised probably isn't a great place to start. There's no comfortable way to carry a cross. I don't care how you position it. I often talk to people who are convinced that some suffering or pain in their lives is an indication that they must not be following Jesus. After all, if you're following Jesus, the Son of God, then doesn't it follow that things in your life are going to unfold smoothly? There's junk theology floating around out there that points to difficulties as evidence that you must not be following Jesus. The biblical reality, biblical reality is that when people say yes to Jesus, they're agreeing to carry a cross, and that will be painful sometimes. This is what we're called to do. Follow Jesus, go wherever he goes, say whatever he says, deny our flesh, bring our will into alignment with his, and die to ourselves, no matter what. And it's tough because we live in a culture that says, well, I deserve that. I deserve this. I deserve to be treated with respect. I have a right to be heard. I have a right to this. I have a right to that. Let me, let me kind of speak to that for a second because if we're in here and we call ourselves a follower of Jesus, then for our life, we are carrying a cross. We're being led to execution our flesh is dying. It's, that, that's, that's the idea, right? And let me tell you something. Somebody carrying the cross being led to execution has no rights. Their opinions don't matter in the slightest. Whatever they try and yell and scream, it's all empty. It doesn't matter, right? Their desires and their dreams, throw them out the door. They don't mean a thing. And this is who we are as followers of Jesus. We're carrying our cross, and we're being led to execution. Well, you don't hear that very often when people say, do you want to receive Jesus, do you? We're being led to execution, that we would die and that Jesus would live. True? Following Jesus is a sacrifice. And Jesus is saying here that it's all or nothing. We're called to immediately drop everything and follow him. So that's number one, Jesus' commands. The first command that we see him give, he says to a couple of fishermen, and he says, follow me, just like he's speaking to us. Command, the second command I want to focus on, number two, you see it on our walls. Love God and love people. I think. No, we don't. It's not back up since Christmas. It'll be back up eventually. Love God and love people. Many times this is referred to as the, the great commandments. And uh, we'll go into that here for a second. But we see in Matthew 22, that's where we're going to read, where we find this. Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40. It says, One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? He's trying to trap him, right? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And we see in the account of this in Luke that the man then, it says, trying to justify himself, 
he tries to jump back and he says, well, okay, well then who is my neighbor? I already love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. I already love him. I've already done that. So who are you talking about? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes into the story of the Good Samaritan, right? But we see here that this man being a religious, an expert in religious law, actually some of your versions will actually say that he's a lawyer. And Jesus wasn't talking about the law a whole lot. And so you got to imagine this guy who's the expert, right? He comes to Jesus and he's trying to trap him in his words. He's trying to test him. And he, you know, he, he doesn't know how Jesus will respond, but Jesus basically says, okay, God's law, yeah, I'll, I'll give you two of them to keep. You keep these two and you'll be good. Now, how many of you know there was like, there's like, was there 613 laws or something in the, in the Old Testament, something crazy like that? Instead of trying to keep these 613 laws that the children of Israel are trying to live by in the Old Testament, or even just the Ten Commandments, Jesus said, fine, I'll just, I'll just give you two. He basically says that, and he, he condenses it down and says, love God with all that you are, and love people selflessly, and you'll be good. And so if you think about it and how that works, most of us probably at some point have memorized the Ten Commandments. So if you truly love God, you're probably not going to be taking his name in vain, Right? You're probably going to be observing the Sabbath day and keeping it holy. You won't have any other gods before him. I I mean, God said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, right? So you think about that in the same aspect, you know, when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you love your neighbor, you're probably not going to murder him. Kind of a given. You're probably not going to steal from him. You're probably not going to take his wife, and you're probably not going to slander his name, right? Right? Jesus summed it all up. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor selflessly. Love those around you selflessly and you're going to be good, right? And so this is kind of what Jesus was telling people to live by. Love God, love people. Everything else falls in place. It sums it all up. There's our job on earth, amen? So second thing was love God and love people. And the third thing I want to give you, the third command of Jesus was go make disciples. And I want to spend a minute on this. Go make disciples. We've, we got here, you know, Jesus is, they've watched him go to the cross. They've seen him rise from the dead. And now he's got them all gathered around him, right? And it's time to go. It's time to send the Holy Spirit. And if If Jesus was the coach, then this was the pep talk, okay? And he's basically looking at the guys and going, you know what, guys? You've you've followed me and you've taken on my mission. And you've learned to live by the commands, love God and love people. So he's saying, now let me leave you with this. And how many of you know the last words are kind of the important words, right? And so... Here's what he says, and we'll be in Matthew 28 in verses 19 and 20. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, there's something I realized this week I'd never thought about before. I've got this I've got this cool Bible app, Logos Bible app, and it is the coolest thing. It breaks down words and does all these different things. And I had always kind of looked at this 
go and make disciples, I'd always kind of thought of go as the word of emphasis for some reason. And, you know, there's Christian t-shirts out there that have the big go, and the newsboys have an album named after go. It's like, you know, it's like go and make disciples. But, you know, in reality, when you look at it, the emphasis isn't really on the word go. There's two actions there, go and make disciples. The emphasis is on make disciples. And, and you would say, well, isn't that kind of given or does it even really matter? But I think it kind of does because as I, as I went looking into that, um, I, I found a few things. So real life example, say somebody said to you, when you go to the store, pick up some bread. Well, what you find is the person who says that to you, they probably already know you're going to the store. Does that make sense? And so they give you a directive based on your location and where you'll be. And that directive is to pick up some bread, right? And that's what I kind of found in this in, in looking at, at the Greek and stuff in this is the emphasis was not on go because people say go and make disciples. It's on making the disciples. And let me tell you the other interesting thing I, I found in this. One of the definitions, or not definitions, but the word that is translated in your Bible, go, an, another translation of it is live. I thought, now that's cool. Because another way you could say it could almost be better translated, as you're living in the world, make disciples. That kind of takes it away from the you know, going and doing outreach. I think going and doing outreach is great, but the reality is, I believe in this moment, Jesus wasn't speaking to going out and having events. He was saying, as you're living, make disciples. And, and going further with that, he, he doesn't say, hey, go get as many people as you can to say a prayer to receive me as their Lord. He didn't say that. He said, go make disciples. Getting people to pray a prayer to see Jesus Lord is easy. You put enough pressure on, you can get people to do it, right? You scare them enough, you bribe them, you pay them. You can get anybody to pray a prayer. He didn't say pray a prayer. He said make disciples. I looked up the word disciple in there. The word disciple is one that is being taught or trained, a pupil, a follower, a scholar, in this case of Christ, obviously. One who follows Jesus, learns, and mimics his ways. Becoming like Jesus in the earth. Leading somebody to receive Jesus could be considered the first step, I suppose, in discipling them. But in itself, it is not discipleship. Does that make sense? I read this, and I want to read this to you real quick. This comes from a Relevant magazine. I found this article talking about the difference between a disciple and a convert. And I just want to read this to you real quick. It says, converts are believers who live like the world. Disciples are believers who live like Jesus. Converts are focused on their own values, interests, worries, fears, priorities, and lifestyles. Disciples are focused on Jesus. Converts go to church. Disciples are the church. Converts are involved in the mission of Jesus. Disciples are committed to it. Converts cheer from the sidelines. Disciples are in the game. Converts hear the word of God. Disciples live it. Converts follow the rules. Disciples follow Jesus. Converts are all about believing, but disciples are about being. Converts are comfortable, disciples sacrifice. Converts talk, disciples make more disciples. And they had a few more things here in there. They said, a disciple is someone who wholeheartedly follows the life and example of Jesus, who makes his mission their mission, his values their values, his heart their heart. 
The disciple is someone who desperately seeks to be like Jesus. The disciple is someone so committed to the cause of Christ that they would follow him through the gates of hell and back. The disciple is someone who finds their entire identity, purpose, and meaning in Jesus. Jesus is the center of their lives. They are all in, fully committed. Not only is a disciple willing to die for Jesus, but they are dedicated to living every day of their life for him. We are called to be disciples, and we're called to make disciples. So what's involved in making a disciple? I just thought about it. I believe it's when we invite those around us to walk with us as we follow Jesus. It's not us leading them in a prayer and then abandoning them. It's us getting our hands dirty and being with them through the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's us teaching, encouraging, training, and correcting them. It's us living the example of Christ the best we can and showing them the way. It's an everyday thing. It's not a one-time event. We should be somebody, we should be someone following Jesus. I'm sorry, we should be following someone that is following Jesus. And someone should be following us following Jesus. That's being a disciple. Making disciples. So he said, go and make disciples of who? He said all nations, didn't it? You want to make disciples of all nations. So I looked up the word nations. The word nations comes from the Greek word ethnos. Ethnos means every race and tribe. And this was big for the Jewish people because, you know, they didn't associate a whole lot with others. They very much kept to themselves. And so this was huge. When Jesus said every nation, there was a reason he said that. He was referring, he was saying it, I believe, for the sake of the, the Jewish people, he was saying, yeah, the, the Gentiles and the heathens too. Go and make disciples. And this was, out of their, this was out of their comfort zone. They would have naturally shied away from this type of thing. So in conclusion, what is Jesus' commands for our life? To take up our cross daily and follow him. To love God and to love people. And as we're living in the world, living life, to make disciples. That was Jesus' commands as he left. Amen? God's heart is for people, and he wants to use us to reach those around us. We are his hands and feet. And I told you next time I'm going to come back and I'm going to, I'm going to get real practical and we'll talk about ways to, to naturally reach out. I don't believe it's supposed to be some weird, awkward thing. If we're living for Jesus, it should shine through us. I mean, people should even notice it, really, before we even before we even really say a word. And so I just want to kind of talk about, excuse me, I want to talk about natural ways that we can reach out to others um, for Christ's sake. And we'll, we'll get into that. Actually, not next week. It'll be, the, it'll be the following. But let's bow our heads together for a moment. I am... Um, Every head bowed. This, this, this really kind of, kind of hit me this week, and, and especially the last several weeks. Several weeks ago when I, I, when I told you I was reading that book, Not a Fan, I was, I was asking myself, am, am I a fan or am I a follower of Jesus? Do I have skin in the game? Is there sacrifice? And I would ask you, you know, have you, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Again, not talking about praying a prayer, is your life surrendered to him? 
Is his mission your mission? Are you truly following him with your life? Let me take it a step further. Have you picked up your cross? Jesus said, if you're my follower, take up your cross and follow. We talked about it a little bit there about what it means, why the cross is so important there. But with every head bowed, I'm, I'm gonna, I want to read you one more thing here, another little excerpt from that, from that book, a, a paragraph that, that just kind of punched me in the gut, honestly. <laughs> I don't want to punch you in the gut, but I want to allow the Holy Spirit a chance to kind of minister to you. I want you to be open. Allow him to ask you some questions. I want you to examine yourself, your heart, your life, and say, where am I really at in regards to all this? He said in the book, he said, and here's the question that's keeping me awake these days. Am I really carrying a cross if there's no suffering and no sacrifice? When is the last time that following Jesus cost you something? When's the last time it cost you a relationship? When's the last time following Jesus cost you a promotion? When's the last time maybe it cost you a vacation? When's the last time you were mocked for your faith? Forget about having your life threatened. When is the last time you went without a meal for the sake of the gospel? Can you really say that you're carrying your cross if it hasn't cost you anything? Take a second and answer that question in your mind. Has it cost me anything? If there's no sacrifice at all, if you're not the least bit uncomfortable, then there's a good chance you aren't carrying your cross. But Jesus invites you to take up your cross. But that's often where we leave as invitation. The next word makes all the difference. That word is daily. Take up your cross daily. Every day, we make a decision that we will die to ourselves and live for Christ. Dying to ourselves is not a one-time decision. It's a daily decision. And this is probably the most challenging part of dying. Are you a follower of Jesus with your life? Guys, I'm guilty. Especially us in America, I think we get so comfortable sometimes with everything around us. We make ourselves so comfortable. We get so comfortable even in our faith. It's kind of like Jesus is out there ministering and yeah, we, we follow Jesus. And it's kind of like he's walking there among the people with all his followers and we're following along in the SUV behind sipping a latte. Going, oh yeah, that's cool. Look what Jesus is doing. Guys, Jesus calls on us to get out of the SUV and come walk with him. Get our hands dirty and make a difference. And that starts with picking up our cross and following him, denying ourselves, denying the pleasures of this life. Doesn't mean that you can't be blessed and enjoy life. But in following Jesus, there's sacrifice. Maybe you're in this place and you find yourself one of those brokenhearted or captive, or blind, oppressed, or crushed. You're the one Jesus came for. 
Guys, I've just found myself repenting in the midst of all this for not being all in sometimes and saying, God, I want to give you everything. With your heads bowed, who would say in here, I, I, just, I just want to see lift, your hands lifted. I, I've got mine up. Who would say that you find yourself guilty sometimes of living a comfortable faith? Yeah, all over the place. Who of you would say, you know what, enough is enough. I've got to go all in today. Who would say that? Don't, don't raise it halfway up. Come on. Who would say enough is enough. I'm, I've got to go all in for Christ in my life. I'm not holding back another day. I'm not going to live a comfortable faith. I'm going to step out and I'm going to make his mission my mission. I'm going to do what he does and I'm going to say what he says. And I'm going to follow his steps through every aspect in life. I'm going to live to fulfill the will of the Father just like my Savior did. Anybody else? If you've never received Jesus and you would say, you know what? I've got, to, I, I've got to make Jesus Savior and Lord of my life today. Is there anybody in here that would say for the first time, I've got to make a decision for Christ or I've got to rededicate my life? I'm, I'm actually, I don't want to, I'm not going to lead everybody in a prayer today. I want us to all just stand up together for a moment. And if you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to rededicate your life, guys, the Bible says that all you got to do is put your trust in him. You determine within yourself that you're going to follow Jesus to the end. You're going to make him Savior and Lord, that you believe that he took the curse of sin on your life and he took it upon himself and you put your trust and faith in him and follow him. The Bible says that you'll be saved. And we're going to go into, back into song here for a minute. And I want everybody to just stay put because I want, I want our prayer partners to go ahead and come down. And if you're really serious, if this, if this really pricked your heart today, I want you to come down and I want you to let somebody stand and agree with you for a minute. I want, the, I want you to let them pray over you and kind of seal that thing because, guys, this is, this is huge. We live in, we're living too comfortable a faith these days. We've got to get about the Father's business. Jesus knew it at 12. Some of us have been walking with Jesus our entire lives and we haven't made that decision to be about the Father's business. If you do need to receive Christ, I just encourage you as we, as we get into worship, just pray. Just, just talk to him on your own, under your breath. Just say, just say, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life today. I just ask you to forgive me for living for myself and, and putting my trust in my, in my own efforts and, and, and thinking I know what's best. And just tell him, say, Jesus, I will follow you to the end no matter what. Say, Lord, I'm going to be all in and I will live for you. Lead in God my steps. I want to make a difference in this world for you. It's all you've got to do. But I want us to go back into this song. We're going to sing your presence as heaven. Because God, guys, our, that is the huge thing. We've got to live in God's presence. We've got to be united as the body of Christ. We've got to come together. We've got to start reaching out. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 
383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.